This week, we've got a lot to talk about. James Webb Space Telescope fully assembled in space for the first time. It's off to check out the first light from the universe. And we've got some Starship. It's the week of my birthday. Let's do this. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Today in Space. I am your space science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex Giorfanos. And this week, first week of 2022, uh, it's, it's that first time of the year where it's awkward, like you forget that it's that year, so you say the year before, and then you're still trying to catch up and figure it out. I'm sure I've written 2021 a few times still, but we're here, we're in a new year. And uh, this week, what I wanted to do was jump on, catch up, see how you guys were doing. There's a few things that have happened in the space industry uh, that I wanted to touch on, a few interesting stories, and then we've got to talk about James Webb Space Telescope. We... we we had a the last podcast of 2021. We talked about the launch, the Christmas Day launch, and the success that it had, and the first stages of James Webb Space Telescope unfolding and getting ready for full deployment in space. We're going to talk about that, some interesting things that I wanted to point out. Uh, for anyone who's just catching up or who wants to dive a little bit in more into some cool stuff about James Webb Space Telescope, we're here for you. So that's what we're going to do this episode. And then I have some thoughts on... Uh, Starship, just uh, uh, it's an amazing project. They're in the middle of literally uh, getting those chopsticks that's going to catch the first stage booster, the super heavy booster. Literally catch the the largest rocket we've launched ever. We're going to catch it on a pair of chopsticks on a launch tower. Bananas, but uh, it's it's possible by the laws of physics. <laughs> so it's uh. It's all a matter of will they figure it out, and in the middle of uh, weight testing that now in Boca Chica, Texas. So, the Starship debut for orbital launch is getting closer and closer and closer. So, let's talk about James Webb Space Telescope in just a second here. But first, I want to uh, congratulate Jim Green on retiring, uh, the chief scientist of NASA. He's really been, I mean. Our planetary science for NASA has been probably, and it's like solar system research, has probably been the part of NASA, in my opinion. Again, I went to school for aerospace engineering from 2008 to 2015. Yep, you can do the math. Uh, I only have an undergraduate degree. Uh, <laughs> but in that time, NASA went through the, sh the retirement of the space shuttle. We had to send our own astronauts aboard the Soyuz launch system. We didn't have our own ability to send things into uh, humans into space, and we only got that back with SpaceX. And the planetary aspect, the the missions that were going on at that time, were really the what I would say the cream of the crop of NASA. And Jim Green had a lot to do with that. Uh, I had the honor of meeting Jim Green. Uh, my first NASA social. It was 2015. It was the New Horizons mission, and Jim was there. Uh, he was really nice, he was very involved, and he, I, my opinion was he was really trying to get people interested, and really, I got to see him in a really cool place where we got invited to uh, the Air and Space Museum in D.C., because we were in Maryland at APL, so before that, we had the opportunity to jump in, it was like last minute, it wasn't even what was necessarily involved, and we met him there, we got to see the New Horizons implementation into that, uh, just into the Air and Space Museum, and that museum's awesome if you haven't been. But, uh, yeah, Jim Green has been a great leader in, in the space world, and, uh, 
you know, him retiring means we, we've got to get someone else great in there. So um, there's a lot of movement right now. The, the old guards uh, either retiring or, you know, we've got new people who are coming in to take those mantles. It's, uh, it's definitely, and, and at the same time, we've got places like SpaceX and Blue Origin and these other rocket companies like Rocket Lab and uh, Blue Shift Aerospace and in Maine, these, these newcomers, we've got a lot of people that have left the SpaceX's and the Blue Origins and are now working at these new engine companies, uh, trying to implement other aspects, create new things for the space industry and be able to innovate. So we've got this kind of outflux and influx of new and old people who are, uh, and I, I mean old as in relative to the space industry, right? How much time have they spent in there? Um, we've got a lot of really experienced people and a lot of people, luckily, who uh, are on the up and coming and are ready to get out there and, and prove themselves. So there's there's a lot going on. And uh, so we, we wish Jim Green the best. Uh, thank you again for being a huge part of that NASA social uh, for New Horizons that was instrumental in why we're still here today as a as a space science podcast. So, Jim, thank you and uh, all the best with retirement. Next, I wanted to talk about, you know, also being a millennial and being born in the year 1990 with the successor to Hubble finally going to space and finally uh, getting deployed. It's it's literally been my whole life that these telescopes have been a part of, right? Hubble launched a few months after I was born in 1990 and in April, uh, I was born in January. And now the successor in space, James Webb Space Telescope, just before my 32nd birthday. So to think that they're going to be dialing in those 18 mirror segments, right? We have our 3D printed coaster here that we uh, we did in honor of James Webb Space Telescope deploying. All of these 18 panels are, are going to get calibrated and focused so that they can observe the early light or really wherever we want to point that telescope. And... It's an amazing thing, and Hubble was an amazing thing, right? I mean, uh, my whole life, Hubble was providing us with images of space that arguably, I mean, every computer has a Hubble Space Telescope uh, screensaver or a background or some screensavers, they don't even exist anymore, but uh, <laughs> uh, backgrounds, right? Um, Hubble was such a huge thing that kept the interest in space, and let us see things that we've never seen before, galaxies, nebulas, things in such detail that uh, it's, it really expanded what we even thought was possible in space, you know, being able to actually see it for the first time. So this this is a, a weird connection with my own life, that this has literally been my whole life has been with these te- telescopes. And it, it's just a cool connection. I, I think it's, it's awesome. It's kind of a weird way to say hey it's my birthday (laughs) but james webb space telescope right now fully assembled in space right let's just talk about the wildness of that right you have engineers that manufacture and build this thing that needs to go into space and then they the the james webb space telescope team remotely deployed and sent commands back and forth using the deep space network to turn gears and uh and pulleys and allow motors to tell them how much current is actually going through to tell them is it deployed because there's no camera on board which is a whole other thing but we'll get into that another time but 
they did it without any visual aids, right? They used only the equipment that was on board and multiple kinds of redundancies, hundreds, hundreds of many failure points where if that thing didn't work, the rest of the mission couldn't happen, right? So they were able to deploy both wings of the primary mirrors, the 18 mirrors. So those two side panels came in because they had to fold this thing like origami just to get it into the rocket that would launch it into space. And then they they deployed the sun shield first, actually let that spring and that that material is pretty wild that it's it's built in such a way that if there was a micrometeoroid impact or some kind of space debris hit it, uh, the damage would be localized. And it, like if there was a tear, it's not going to just like rip the whole sunshield open. It's it's literally constructed in a way to stop it from only ripping so far. Pretty wild stuff. And so the the mirror section is actually going to be facing darkness the whole time. And that, that we want that because we want the telescope side to be as cold as possible. We don't want heat distorting whatever images we're trying to take. And uh, obviously light exposure, right? It's why in Boston, Massachusetts, it's difficult to have a good view of the night sky because there's too much light pollution, right? Same thing kind of applies with this. And if we're really going to look as far back as we're going to look, the earliest first light of the universe, the first galaxies, the first black holes, how, how interconnected those two things are, and looking at actual exoplanets and being able to observe them at a scale that we've never been able to before to learn more about how life may be uh, able to exist across our, our galaxies and universes uh, requires the right situation. So it's one of those things where, you know, we see this. This is a wonderful 18 gold-plated mirrors that are going to be focused with a secondary mirror. Uh, so the light will comes in, reflects off the secondary mirror, and then goes into the telescope to be observed. All of that is happening in <laughs> the darkness behind the sun, uh, behind the earth, and and the sun shield. So this is a really wild mission, and the fact that the engineering team was able to pull that off and it went by like a breeze is truly an accomplishment. And it really says something about the difference about scientists and engineers in a good way, or how they how the two enable each other, right? Everything leading up to the point where James Webb Space Telescope takes its first image, right? The scientist thinks, wow, if we could come up with this theoretical thing, this theoretical telescope, and we're able to operate at cryogenic temperatures, and we're able to focus these 18 mirrors in, we're going to be able to look back and, and learn so much more about how who we are, where we came from, how existence began. All of those things are scientist things, right? Those, those are the science side of things, uh, kind of the high theoretical, what we can do with a, a really amazing device. The engineer deals with making sure that that device can do everything the scientist needs to do. <laughs> and that in itself is its own challenge, and it really can't be understated. As an engineer, I have to... I have to promote how amazing and crazy this kind of thing is. I mean, it would be difficult to do uh, standing next to the spacecraft, right? It's that delicate. There's that many things that could go wrong. And if, if something goes wrong, the troubleshooting steps to make sure it would happen. It's difficult with being able to visually see the telescope. Never mind trying to operate it at, uh, uh, one, uh, at a million kilometers away in space 
right? Using the deep space network, waiting for the light to travel that distance and, and only being able to rely on what the sensors are telling you. That is uh, something that you need to rehearse, something you need to be prepared for. You need to know all the likely outcomes and any type of failure point, not only what it looks like when it fails, but what to do after the fact, what to do this field, what are my options, what do I have? What could I look at these sensors and say, that motor is, uh, you know, we're trying to get the second flap, uh, the second wing of the primary mirrors, you know, the second wing that they deployed in space to get that to come up. They were looking at the, the current off the motor to see if the current spiked, that could mean that it was stuck, right? If that happened too early, they could mean that it's overworking because it's experiencing something it didn't expect with that move. So you've got this whole list of things that need to happen in order. And as soon as that thing happens that you didn't expect, how do you get back to the same place without screwing anything up in the future? That is the challenge of the engineer, <laughs> especially the engineers that worked on these on these missions, on this mission and getting it out there. It's truly, truly incredible. And if you're looking for STEM and you're thinking between being a scientist or being an engineer, it really comes down to that. Is are what is what you're looking for a lot of problems that you can solve and being able to dive into the details of how something works and being able to underst understand the nuances of, of the behaviors of a thing, right? Of, 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 of a machine, of a telescope, of a rover, whatever that is. In our case, a 3D printer, right? Uh, if that's interesting to you, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my thought because I, that's extremely interesting to me. Um, and if you're really about thinking about the theoretical and, and showing us how we can make big changes around how we think about things, and, and there's plenty of others, right? There's plenty of other things that scientists do, but it's an interesting thing, and that's what our People of Science segment is all about. If you guys are new to the podcast, or if you haven't listened to those yet, it's about talking to the people behind the science, right? Like, what got them interested in it? For me, um, I'm a maker. I'm a tinkerer. I like to do. I, need, I like to work with my hands, and that's why kind of 3D printing came really natural to me, and figuring out how to make things. That's why I ended up getting into engineering because that was something that was really interesting to me, um, and that's the question that leads to you, right? If you're trying to work in STEM, or if maybe you're in a job right now and it's not really meeting your needs as a human being, right? You're not. You, maybe you're not getting enough out of that job as well uh thinking about okay well what does what does make you happy what are you what are you passionate about what what makes you at the end of the day maybe not happy what at the end of the day if you did that work that you would feel good about or you would get something out of it right uh give and take right getting paid but you're also getting something out of it if you can find that um that's amazing and the first place to look if you are looking for something like that is what does make you happy so my whole point with that is you really have to love what you're doing if you're like some of these people have been on this mission since the early 2000s you know 20 years of being on the same mission uh there were a lot of veterans that that were you know uh, around my age and it, it, it's they've they've literally spent most of their career working on this and uh we just couldn't be any happier for the team for having such a successful mission uh, deployment so far, right? There's still there's still the primary mirror, the 18 independently controlled mirrors, right? They can focus each one independently. 
um, those need to be dialed in and calibrated for the first image that they're going to take uh, and then focus the mirrors that secondary mirror making sure everything lines up just like you would do with a brand new telescope so uh, that that's happening currently and another thing that I thought was really interesting with James Webb Space Telescope <coughs> was you know it's it's at L, when it gets to L2 it's going to be doing this kind of halo orbit where it's going to have a lot of momentum to keep doing this but it is going to make uh, moves to keep it itself in that position over time so it maybe has 20 years it was originally like 10 years maybe it's got 20 years while it's there and it's doing this constantly to keep it around l2 so that it, it can keep as little fuel as possible to keep it where it needs to be another thing that they're using because it's basically just a giant kite right out there and there is solar wind and there are things that that you need to be careful with as well as like this thing has a momentum and if it started to shake then it's got like a shake to it and if there is solar wind it's going to change that it's going to add perturbations to that orbit and things that you'll need to adjust and one of the things they added was an aft flap so this little flap off the back of the sun shield uh, facing the sun and the earth um, that's going to act like a rudder so that they can use that flap to steer through the solar wind that does come by um, it's really fascinating to think of, right? You're in the vacuum of space. You wouldn't think, why would you need a rudder? But even the solar wind, as little as it might be, right? Because solar sailing is not a super fast thing. But the thing that we're just using a rudder to also help us with staying in orbit, using less fuel because of that rudder, that's amazing. I, th I thought that was really cool. So just to talk about, to finish out, we really want to congratulate the James Webb Space Telescope team for a successful deployment in space. Again, 100% assembled from its origami shape in that fusel, uh, in that uh, fairing. They were able to do that completely remotely from Earth, and all the years and years of challenge and and struggle to get there, they've done it. And uh, as someone that was definitely always like, when's it going to launch? Are they ever going to get this done? They, they've done it. Uh, and it's, I don't care about the struggle. It's, it's important. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, it's very important that we understand that missions have a risk if they go too long, right? We're very lucky that we had the partnership with the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency so that NASA could get together and make this mission happen after they had to do a whole redesign for the thing. To think that even after all that and all that struggle, they got the right people together, they got the right team, and they made it happen. That is a great story, and I think it's it's a story that we need to talk more about here uh, in this post-pandemic world, right? Uh, there's too many. There were too many problems before the pandemic, and now we've got all these other things. I mean, look, I think most of us are doing our best just to just to hang on with the stuff that's going on. There's a lot of things that are happening on the daily that need to be addressed, but then there's big picture stuff. There's a lot that needs to be done. But even though that may take a while, I think a story like this, like James Webb Space Telescope, is really important to know that if you hang in there, if you're able to readjust, make a better plan, put the right people together, and find yourself some time, find some extra money to get this thing going, it really can still happen you can still make it work and it it's 
the making it work that matters the most. It's the, they launched James Webb Space Telescope, right? You could have 30 years of people telling you it's never going to launch. If you do it, and you do it as spectacularly as they did it, uh, that's a major win. <laughs> so uh, congratulations, James Webb Space Telescope team. People have started their careers and ended their careers on that mission. So um, huge congratulations. You guys did it. Now to the next point of another hopefully 20 years plus of being able to observe the earliest light and galaxies and even black holes from the very beginning of our universe. Um, and that's a really fascinating one, too, that got brought up during that live broadcast for the deployment is not only will we learn about the first galaxies, but black holes seem to be completely connected to galaxies and light, right? You have you have mass and you then you have these black holes. They, they seem to go together, right? But which one came first? Were they there at the same time? Have they always been balancing themselves out or are black holes some kind of remnant after to compensate for the expansion of space? Or is, is, is there something entirely different that we, we don't even know? That is going to be really exciting to look into. Um, we haven't actually done a black hole episode and I do have it on my list. So this is a really good time to get into that. So expect that later this year. Um, but yeah, just again, James Space Telescope still out there. Um, we are also, if you want to support the podcast, we are we have our lab, AG3D Printing, where we 3D print and bring ideas into reality, and this was one of those. I literally designed this on my iPad. I have an app called Shaper 3D, and uh, I literally, with my Apple Pencil, I, I drew it out there in CAD. I was able to do it while I was hanging out and just chilling. Uh, it wasn't like I had to be in front of the computer. It's really nice experience. I did this just, you know, we were in the middle of watching something else. I was kind of just doodling. Made this. Put it on a 3D printer. <laughs> and then uh, it's here. It's in front of us. And we put one of these up on our Etsy shop. It's coaster. Uh, it's uh, individual pieces are printed in this gold PLA, and then we have this black base that everything goes into, uh, and then we've glued the tiles together. So if you do want to support the podcast and you want a cool James Webb Space Telescope coaster, go to ag3dprinting.etsy.com. That's our Etsy shop. Go there. The profits from there fund this podcast. They fund all our future projects, more 3D printers, more amazing filament for us to print cool stuff with. And of course, um, all of those things end up coming back to you guys in some way so uh, and there's also the ability if anyone has an idea they want to bring into reality with 3d printing you want to make a, a product you're thinking about a business but you just want to be able to try a few of them maybe sell a few premium ones before you go get a mold to make a whole you know hundreds of thousands of them 3d printing is a really good option for that and, and even one-offs right completely custom parts 3d printing is great for that and at ag 3d printing our uh, 3D printing shop, that's what we do in our lab. So if you're interested, go to AG3D printing, ag3d-printing.com. We can give you a free quote on your project. We can let you know what's possible, point you in the right direction if it's not with us. At the very least, we want to help you bring your idea into reality. So uh, please feel free to reach out. Um, if you're a part of the podcast, of course, uh, if we talk about all this stuff, social media, you can follow us on Today in Space on TikTok, Today in Space Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and of course, AG3D Printing on Instagram. And then our website, todayinspace.net, if you want to check out stuff over there. But 
yeah, folks, thanks for joining this joining us this week. What I wanted to do was close out with a little just thought about Starship, right? So Starship is developing down at Boca Chica. They are testing the chopsticks that's going to catch the Super Heavy as it comes back to the launch pad, which is wild. Who's ever caught a rocket before, right? The, nobody. <laughs> nobody probably would think that's even something you should do. But um, they seem to have figured out the phys- physics of it, and it's a massive tower that's built uh, for a massive rocket system with Starship. And uh, those those water balloons are getting filled. They're literally hanging them from the chopsticks because they've got to make sure that if this rocket comes in and it kind of falls, like, does it have the weight? Can it handle not only the weight of the rocket, but worst case, right? So you want to add some margin so that if something doesn't go quite right, like maybe it um, lands a little bit sideways, maybe a, a thruster doesn't fire properly, um, you've got to expect the unexpected as much as possible. So they're testing that. That's going to be crazy. I, I We still have to wait for the FAA to approve it and, and all of that stuff to make sure that it's environmentally okay that all the other areas around it the the wildlife around it the people around it are going to be safe all of that stuff is being looked at right now and reviewed but assuming everything goes well we could have an orbital flight this year and maybe even before the summer but at the very least we're going to keep an eye on it um, and again this year we're hoping to go down to Boca Chica Texas so looking forward to that um, but you know as much as a crazy thing is like what SpaceX is doing with Starship is some of the most crazy reverse engineering of something that exists right because there's some there's some thought with engineering and creating something new sometimes you have to start from complete scratch right like uh um like oh the old thing yeah it works but we need we need something that's better James Webb Space Telescope compared to Hubble right Hubble and James Webb Space Telescope, very different telescopes. Uh, They both achieved great things, and part of the reason why James Webb Space Telescope took so long is because it's a telescope we've never made before. Completely wild. Instead of doing like Hubble 2.0, we wanted a completely new thing, and that ended up requiring a redesign of that original design. And then, of course, as we know, it took a while to launch in the first place, and they had to origami this thing into a spacecraft, uh, into a rocket system. And for starship they've they've revolutionized something like trying something completely new but at the same time it's kind of just taking what we've been doing for a while right it's literally starship and oversimplifications don't get me wrong but starship is literally a tube with flaps on it right to control it down here we've launched tubes before we've they've landed tubes before right with the first stage with the falcon 9 and now we're gonna fly a tube that's a spacecraft and land that <laughs> so and we they've done that a few times and it, just to think like it seems like a very simple thing idea oh we'll take a tube we'll pull flaps on it we'll try and land it usually those really simple things end up being really hard to do in real life and um one of the things we're going to be looking into and that is probably going to be really a big challenge for getting Starship to launch as frequently as it needs to, but also 
getting Starship to go long distances, which is refueling. Fueling that thing is going to be crazy. Um, not only the fueling Starship once it's in orbit, right? We'll have to sh- we'll, they'll have to launch those those tankers and fill up, and they'll have to do a few of those to really get a long distance mission to get enough fuel on board after launch. But they're also going to have to launch. They're also going to have to refuel all of those uh, rocket launches, and they're they're looking to have a lot of Starship launches. So they're not only are they trying to revolutionize space, they're going to have to revolutionize these other aspects of the industry, right? Fueling. They're going to have to have a crazy optimized uh, fueling system. And I'm sure it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take people that know enough uh, to be in there to make changes while things are happening, um, to make that process as efficient as possible, because that's going to be difficult. I mean, with the supply shortages, with the way the world is right now, um, there, there literally were less rocket launches because there wasn't enough fuel to launch up because it was needed for other purposes, more probably more important purposes with people in hospitals and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, there's a lot to be involved, and that's definitely a risk uh, on top of the Raptor engine, which also needs to become reliably manufacturable and they have a lot of work ahead of them. <laughs> so Starship team, good luck. We wish you nothing but the best. Um, again, Starship being able to launch up to 100 people at a time, more than if you can launch more than 10 people at a time, that's a huge accomplishment. And even if you launch the same amount of people, the amount of mass that you can bring with you to go to a place like the moon, you're not only bringing a spacecraft like we did with Apollo, you're bringing something that's a, a livable thing. The the LEM was not a, a place, like the, the the landing module for Apollo was not a, a, a spacious, uh, a, a very comfortable place to be. <laughs> so Starship will definitely out- surpass that when, once it actually gets there. But um, there's a lot of work before we even start dreaming about what that's going to be like but it's close it's getting here and uh we'll close out this week's episode thank you for joining us again uh make sure to spread the word you guys are doing an amazing job of getting the word out there i mean we're we're reaching and talking to people around the world and that's thanks to people like you that listen reach out send us send our podcast to other people and we can't thank you enough 2021 was a huge year for us, for the podcast, for growth, for being able to talk to some new people and uh, and, and talk to more of you. We're, we're building a community here. We've got a lot more to come, but that's it for this first episode of January. We'll have more people of science coming up soon. Wish all the best for James Webb Space Telescope, getting all those mirrors calibrated in, and of course, Starship getting all of that under wraps and taming that Raptor so we can see the first orbital launch of Starship. Thanks for joining us. Be well. Spread love and spread science. And here's to building a fantastic future. See you next time.